Humane Nature is an animal tourism podcast with discussions of animal abuse, injury, and medicine. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome back to Humane Nature. I am your host, Stacia, and this is the first episode of season two. And I am so excited. I am all rested up. I definitely needed a little bit of a break. You know, I was transitioning from my normal job and it, it was just getting to be a lot, especially like right after the holidays. So I am rested. I am back and I am excited to bring you some brand new content for season two. Today we will be discussing the absolutely insane story of the film called Roar that came out in 1981 and the implications it had in using animals and wildlife in film. And I know this kind of relates back to the last episode of season one that I did, but for those of you who are just now joining us, welcome. I thought it would be a really good transition from season one to season two with these two episodes. So I do want to put an extra content warning in this for human injury. I know I have a content warning at the beginning of the show about, you know, unethical animal interactions, injury, all that good stuff. But uh, this episode is going to dive into some human injuries as well. So spoilers for that. So Roar was an adventure comedy indie type film that premiered in 1981 and was directed by Noel Marshall and Tippi Hendren. Marshall was also the producer of The Exorcist and Hendren starred in Alfred Hitchcock's The Birds. It follows naturalist Hank, who was played by Marshall, who lives on a big cat nature preserve with lions, tigers, and other large cats. When Hank's family comes to visit, they are confronted with the large cats and chaos ensues. And this chaos definitely occurred both in and outside of the movie. The film is full of your kind of typical 80s music, long background shots, and very quick cutscenes during stunts that really let you know that there are stunts being done, at least scripted stunts being done. Most of the opening wide angle scenes at the start of the movie, like various African wildlife, was actually shot in Kenya rather than on the set of the film, which was filmed in California. Roar was inspired by an event that occurred on another film set called Satan's Harvest, which was filmed in Mozambique in 1969. During the filming of this movie, an abandoned plantation home in Mozambique that was being used for the film was overrun by a pride of lions. This was not intentional. Um, This was not done for the film. An actual pride of lions overran this plantation home that they were filming at. This event inspired future directors of Roar after a local resident educated them on the disappearing lion populations in the area due to poaching. Marshall and Hendren brought their idea to their families, who agreed to be producers and actors in the film. So this was a family thing, and Noel Marshall and Tippi Hendren were married at the time as well. So I did watch the film for this podcast, so I'm not just talking about a film that I've never seen before. And I did watch and read a few behind-the-scenes blogs and mini-documentaries about the film as well, and uh, it's... It's pretty nuts. So there were some warnings 
on just how dangerous this was going to be before they even started filming. While researching for the project, a number of lion tamers did warn Marshall and Hendren that groups of large cats cannot be brought together safely, especially if they were not already part of the same pride or captive group. Despite this, the original script called for 30 to 40 lions to be on the set. Despite it being illegal, Marshall and Hendren also kept and raised lion cubs in their California home. They acquired these cubs from local circuses and roadside zoos in order to bond and train them for the film. So their idea was that if they raised these cats from cubs and bonded to them and raised them along with their children, that it would limit the amount of injuries that they would receive and that the lions would be much more tame towards them. And this was before the strict laws put in place by the Endangered Species Act in 1973. So this was technically like, I mean, it was illegal, but it wasn't really enforced before 1973. Authorities did discover the lions in their home in 1972 and ordered them to be removed from the home. Marshall and Hendren bought land and built a Tanzania-inspired home that would later be used in the film. They could not afford union workers to build this home and build the set and build all these other things, so they paid non-union construction workers to build it all. In addition to the now 50 lions on the land, so it originally called for 30 to 40, now there are 50, there were also Siberian tigers and an African bull elephant, and they were all acquired and the script was edited to add these new animals. I really don't know why they decided to add other big cats that do not exist in the same continent. <laughs> not not even just not the same country. Like it's one thing if they were misinformed and there was like another large cat or African wild animal who lived in a different African country compared to Kenya, which is where they were filming most of this or at least based most of this. But they they took wildlife and big cats from different continents entirely. So it, it's just chaotic to say the least. And in addition, lions hunt elephants and bull elephants are notoriously aggressive and territorial. So it was extremely dangerous to have the elephant near the lions to begin with and that they were having an elephant at all because they can be extremely dangerous. I would even argue more dangerous than the lions themselves. By the time filming began, the family had acquired 71 lions, 26 tigers, a tigon, which is a male tiger, female lion cross versus like a liger would be a female tiger, male lion cross. Nine what they called black panthers. I don't know if these were black jaguars or black leopards, but they called them black panthers. Ten cougars or pumas, depending on where you live. Two jaguars, four leopards, two elephants, six black swans, four Canada geese, four cranes, two peacocks, seven flamingos, and a marabou stork. And this list kind of separates jaguars, leopards, and panthers. And... In reality, black panthers are not really their own species. A black panther is a nickname given to uh, melanistic black jaguars or black leopards. 
So I'm assuming that these nine, what they're calling Black Panthers, are a mix of melanistic jaguars and leopards. And then the two jaguars and four leopards they have listed are the spotted jaguars and spotted leopards. So, But they're all a big mix of jaguars and leopards. They did, however, turn down a hippopotamus. So I guess they did something right in terms of the animals that they had there because a hippo is like one of the most dangerous animals in the world. Um, It is definitely the biggest or the most dangerous of the big five in, in African countries. So someone probably would have died if they had a hippo on board. A lack of funding eventually led Marshall to perform multiple duties that he was untrained for, including animal wrangler, set mechanic, boom operator, camera operator, and performing veterinary work such as giving vaccinations and drawing blood from the animals. So he was a film director and producer and I guess actor. I think this was his first acting debut was in his own movie, but he was doing all these other things that people train for, especially the animal wrangler and the veterinary work and mechanic work. Like all of that could be extremely dangerous, not just for himself, but for the people around him if he, you know, messes it up. So yeah, some of these duties were obviously extremely dangerous for him and the cast and crew around him. Marshall also took the male lead in the film because no other actors wanted to do it due to the dangers of the role, which we will talk about next. Today's first episode is sponsored by my blog, Stumble Safari. If you're enjoying this podcast so far, check out StumbleSafari.com for general travel advice, tips and tricks, and of course, animal tourism guides. That's StumbleSafari.com. For just a second, let's think about the worst that could happen during a vacation. Maybe your expensive camera broke while on an African safari. Maybe your luggage was lost on your way to Europe or your flight was canceled altogether. Maybe you got sick in South America and had to spend a few days in a hospital. Luckily, you booked travel insurance before your trip. Travel insurance protects you in all of these scenarios and more. I always use World Nomads because their coverage makes the most sense for me as a traveler who frequently participates in adventurous activities, visits multiple countries per trip, and carries expensive equipment for my blog and podcast. Check out World Nomads rates for your next trip abroad using the link in the description. Due to a lot of the big cats, quote, not performing... Actors were encouraged to do things that would trigger them to do something, quote unquote, interesting. So this included things like running and screaming away from them, triggering their prey drive. And you can definitely see this in the film. There's a lot of instances in the film where the cat is just kind of sitting or laying there and the actors are acting all scared and kind of running around and they want the cat to get up and do something so that it doesn't just look like them running around frightened with a cat just like laying there and staring at them. So they would run up to the cat and then start screaming and run away again, causing the cat to get up and start chasing them because that is what cats do. From the start, very dangerous stunts with the cats are very prevalent throughout the film. Like within the first few minutes of the film, it was just absolute chaos. 
Honestly, I can't tell you if they kept shots where injuries occurred or not. Some of the sources that I've included in this episode say that they are, (laughs) that they are included in the final cut. None of the scenes that show like blood and stuff are real. Um, the, The blood and stuff that's in the film is very obviously fake and include a lot of those like really heavy jump cut scenes where obviously it was scripted and obviously they're kind of cutting things together to make it look like something is happening. It's just, it's very, very fake. Um, The things that they want to look like a lion attack are very, very fake. And then the things that they want to appear friendly just are terrifying to watch because it was just so dangerous and scary. You can tell that the actors were put in serious danger in some of the scenes, and I would argue the majority of the scenes in the film. So I counted a lot of instances of actors being tackled by cats, like fully being knocked down to the ground by these big cats. The actors being in shelves or in, in one instance, a refrigerator or a barrel, and these things were knocked down and walked on by the cats. And in these scenes, I was really careful to watch, there was no jump cut. So there was no cut where like a lion would knock down this piece of furniture, there would be a jump cut, and then they would jump back to it and show the actor like crawling out. No, like I, I'm fairly certain these actors were in these pieces of furniture being knocked down like the entire time. I think it was real. If any of you want to correct me, maybe you saw something that I didn't, but it looked very, very real to me. There were a lot of instances of cats mouthing at or pawing at actors, um, whether they were playing or whether they weren't. It's dangerous either way. There were multiple instances of especially Marshall playing the lead role, attempting to break up actual fights between like two male lions or standing very close to cats as they were fighting. I believe he was the only one trying to break up fights, but there were other actors that were extremely close when two cats were fighting. And that's just, that's not a good idea for anyone. Even the most well-trained large cat professional should not be anywhere near it if, if two cats, two lions start to go at it. Yeah, it was really bad. And finally, there is a scene where an elephant actually picks Tippy Hendren up by the ankle. And this was scripted. This was supposed to happen. And uh, we will talk about what happened because of that scene later. And finally, Hendren was also coated like all down her face in honey to encourage the cats to come up and lick her face. So during this scene, there were like animal handlers nearby. They say animal handlers, but I don't know if they were actual animal handlers or if it was just Marshall, but it says that they were about eight feet away during the scene for her safety. However, they were too far away. Like they would not have been able to help quickly enough to save her if the cat decided to bite, whether it was intrigued by the the food, whether it was trying to play. You know, cats sometimes bite at things that they, that taste good, that they're interested in. And lions are no different. So this actress could have been killed just from this one stunt. It was, it was pretty scary. So I'm sure you could tell from the little content warning I gave at the beginning of this, there were a lot of injuries that happened on set for this movie. So due to the large number of untrained wildlife on set and major budget constraints, there were 
a reported 48 injuries to people during the first two years of filming. This is not including the animals, and this is not including the other years of filming. Because of Noel Marshall's involvement with The Exorcist, he was the producer of the film The Exorcist, people on set believed Roar was quote, cursed with the plague of the exorcist. So nine people died on the set of the exorcist, like in really kind of mysterious and tragic ways. And it was said to be cursed. Shockingly, no one died while making Roar. So I don't think Roar was cursed. I think Marshall and Hendren were just stupid. (laughs) They were just really making these really awful, dumb mistakes and putting themselves and everyone around them in danger. It was estimated that of 140 cast and crew members, at least 70 of them were injured on set. But later, Marshall admitted in an interview he believed the number was closer to 100. So about 100 out of the 140 cast and crew members. And this isn't 100 instances. This was 100 people as Many, many people were injured multiple times and ended up in the hospital multiple times. Marshall himself was bitten 11 times during filming and nearly lost his arm. He was hospitalized when his face and chest were injured in another accident. He was diagnosed with blood poisoning and developed gangrene due to his extensive injuries. And while watching the film, I noticed Marshall had bandages that would appear and disappear between shots, and it made me really wonder if these were real injuries and they were like refilming pieces, or if these were simply continuity errors, because there were a few times in the film where Marshall seemingly was injured, and I couldn't tell if it was a real injury or like one of those fake scripted injuries. So then he would be like wrapping his hand in gauze or something. But part of me does think that it was real <laughs> um, and they just kind of improved wrapping it up and just continuing on with the shot. During a promo shoot in 1973, Tippi Hendren was bitten on the head where the lion's teeth actually scraped against her skull. She was also hospitalized after a bull elephant picked her up in that scripted scene that I mentioned before, breaking her ankle and bucked her off of his back, breaking her hand as well. And another source that I read said that not only did it break her ankle, that it fully crushed her leg as the bull elephant like picked her up with his trunk and then her leg was like crushed between the strong trunk and the elephant's tusk. So either way, she was really severely injured on her leg and ankle. And this was a stunt that made it into the film. I'm not sure if they did multiple takes of this or if the take that is in the film of her being picked up is when her ankle was broken. She developed phlebitis and gangrene as a result of this injury. This same elephant bucked a trainer into a tree a few days before this. A few days before this, not after this, breaking this trainer's shoulder. So this elephant, I mean, I don't blame him. He's an African bull elephant. They're lucky that that's all that he did. Hendren was also scratched on the arm by a jaguar and bitten on the chest by a cougar. Hendren's daughter, Melanie Griffith, was attacked by a lioness while acting on set. She received 50 stitches in the hospital from this attack and nearly lost an eye. She fortunately walked away without becoming disfigured and without 
you know, losing her eye, but she did require some reconstructive surgery after the event. And she would go on to star in some other movies. So this was kind of her acting break, but uh, she's very, very lucky. Marshall's sons, John and Jerry, were also injured while acting on set. A lion jumped on John, biting the back of his head. He required 56 sutures in the hospital after this. And during this instance, the lion held on for 25 minutes, requiring six other people to pry his jaws off of John. So this lion would not let him go. Jerry was bitten by a lion on the thigh and stayed in the hospital for over a month. And this bite occurred through a cage. So he probably would have lost his leg if this lion decided to bite him when he was not in a cage. So, yeah. <laughs> Crew member John DeBont was scalped on set and required 222 sutures to place his scalp back onto his skull. He returned to set just like a week after recovering from this instance. And he later went on to direct other major films, including Die Hard. Assistant director Duran Cowper was bitten by one of the lead lions on the throat and jaw. Again, very lucky to walk away from that. The lion also attempted to pull off one of his ears after Cowper unintentionally cued an attack. He also received injuries to his scalp, chest, and thigh, and Cowper had to undergo four and a half hours of surgery after his injuries, and he almost died on the surgical table. After Cowper's attack, crew left in huge numbers, and the turnover rate was really high for this film, as you can imagine. In an interview later, Marshall states, The closer you get to big cats, the more they'd like you and the safer you'd be. Obviously, this isn't true. Marshall and Hendren raised these cats from cubs, and they were still mauled and both almost died on set, along with their children, who they raised along with the cubs. In a YouTube video with Weird History, I don't know if you've ever heard of the channel. They're really big, really great, really informative. But I watched their video about Roar, and they stated that many of the injuries were in fact caught on film and used in the final cut of the movie. They also stated that the cast's real fear showed through in the filming as Marshall refused to cut or give them help, even when they were asking for it while on camera. Remember, this was Marshall's own family. So his family in the film, the wife and three kids were his own family. His wife played his wife in the film, his two biological sons played his sons in the film, and his stepdaughter played his daughter in the film as well. Marshall's son, John, later said in an interview, quote, Dad was a fucking asshole to do that to his family. Just like all of you lovely listeners, I love listening to podcasts. But it's the absolute worst feeling in the world when you run out of new episodes. When I run out of episodes of my favorite podcasts, I love listening to audiobooks. Audible is the best app for finding audiobooks. They have over 200,000 listings, including classics and new releases. I especially love Audible when I'm traveling and need something lengthy to listen to while disconnected from Wi-Fi. Try Audible for free today and claim a free audiobook at audibletrial.com slash humane. 
That's audibletrial.com slash humane or using the link in the description. For just a second, let's think about the worst that could happen during a vacation. Maybe your expensive camera broke while on an African safari. Maybe your luggage was lost on your way to Europe or your flight was canceled altogether. Maybe you got sick in South America and had to spend a few days in a hospital. Luckily, you booked travel insurance before your trip. Travel insurance protects you in all of these scenarios and more. I always use World Nomads because their coverage makes the most sense for me as a traveler who frequently participates in adventurous activities, visits multiple countries per trip, and carries expensive equipment for my blog and podcast. Check out World Nomads rates for your next trip abroad using the link in the description. There were a lot of other mishaps on set as well. It was not just the injuries related to working so closely with the big cats. In February 1978, pipes and beans in nearby Aliso Canyon burst after a very heavy rain. To direct potential flood water away from the South Pacific train tracks, water was intentionally diverted. Unfortunately, this flood water was sent directly towards the Marshall property. And this was set up prior to the purchase of the property, so this diversion had always been there in order to save the train tracks from potential flood. And they bought this property knowing that this could have happened at any time. The property after this was destroyed by a 10-foot or 3-meter flood. Four sound crew members needed to be rescued from the flood, but were fortunately unharmed. Fifteen lions and tigers escaped due to fence damage from the flood, and the local sheriff and law enforcement were forced to kill three of the cats, including Robbie, which was the lead lion in the film. Robbie is credited at the start of the film, but there is never a note in the film that states that he was killed or died and replaced partway through filming of Roar. And this may have been included in the like end credits, but I didn't sit through all of the end credits to watch. The film did have quite a few notices and, and beginning credits about a lot of these things, so... Yeah, so I could be wrong. It, it may say at the end, but I, I kind of doubt it. Most of the set, ranch, editing equipment, and film stock were destroyed with over $3 million in damages by this flood. Adjusted for inflation from 1981, $3 million U.S. dollars in 1981 would be almost $10 million U.S. dollars today. So this was an insane amount of damage, especially considering their initial budget was $3 million dollars. And yeah, that was the amount of damages they they got just from this flood. It took eight months to rebuild the set, and then they had to start basically from scratch. Once the set was rebuilt, 12 wildfires in the area broke out. So luckily, these wildfires did not damage the property or hurt the animals, but they couldn't film due to the dangers of being outside, and it, you know, just Ruins with a shot. <laughs> um, continuity, they would not have been able to add any of the films that had like, you know, the darkened skies or fires in the distance or anything like that. So they had to wait those out and hope for the best that their animals and staff and crew would not be hurt by these wildfires as well. 
The original nine-month shoot turned into a five-year-long, just constant chaotic fiasco. So let's talk about the animal welfare on set and through the film. And honestly, it's a little better than I would have imagined, but not good. (laughs) Due to overcrowding and improper care, 14 lions and tigers died as a result of an airborne illness that plagued the group. Animals were also trained to perform unnatural stunts despite directors wanting them to be behaving naturally in the film. And at the beginning of the film, there is a credit saying that the lions and tigers are all behaving as they naturally would, but this just isn't true. Two tigers rode in a car with Marshall in a scene, and I did hear that it took two weeks to train them to ride in the car. There was a scene with a lion cub riding a skateboard, and it had obviously been trained to do so. And there is a moment of an actor, a full-grown adult male actor, riding on the back of a lion, which, um, dangerous for the lion, very dangerous for the actor, just not a good idea all around, so... Though Marshall and Hendren wanted the goal of the film to be about big cat and African wildlife conservation, the majority of the film shows the animals attacking humans and their resulting fear. These were staged and not always the real-life injuries, but some of them really were the real-life injuries. Films depicting human harm from animals have been proven to create fear and negativity surrounding the animals rather than respect. This happened with Jaws, which led to the overfishing and population decline of sharks worldwide, and the film attempts to make the injuries comedic rather than frightening. So the ones that are scripted injuries are meant to be kind of funny in a way because this is for the the bad guys in the film, the poachers, but... At the same time, there was a scene, uh, spoiler alert, I don't know if you guys wanted to watch the movie and be surprised, but the poachers at the end of the film are actually eaten by lions. So although it was extremely fake in the film, it was it was really bad how, how awful and fake it was, this can still instill fear in people watching this. And it shows that lions will eat people. And... On top of that, the real injuries that were caught on camera were just kind of covered up as cats, the cats playing or snuggling or doing all these other things. So the film also shows the wildlife performing ridiculous acts and attacks such as breaking down doors and busting through walls. And even though these these actions are entirely unrealistic, even for viewers who do not really know lion behavior, it can still influence how viewers perceive the animals. The entire purpose of the film was to showcase that big cats and other wildlife can cohabitate and live harmoniously with humans. However, there were only about 20 minutes of the entire film that showed the cats and humans living together peacefully. The rest played out like a bad horror film, and even the moments where they were quote-unquote peaceful together or living harmoniously, the cats were just like, destroying the people's house. They were chewing things up, scratching things, tearing things down. So even if the cats aren't injuring the people, they're still not living well together. (laughs) But things like this, this is how we get people collecting large exotic pets and wildlife in unethical ways too. 
we are not supposed to be living with lions. We are not supposed to be living with big cats. And yes, sometimes we need to step in for their own protection and in terms of zoos or breeding programs or, you know, African nature preserves to protect them from poachers. But that does not mean that we are living in a house with them. You know, there's a there's a really big difference. No person should be able to purchase and own dangerous wildlife. This goes for the characters in the film, as well as the real-life directors who purchased and raised the animals for the film. While filming the wide shots in Kenya and not on set, so these big, like, stylistic, supposed-to-be-like-inspiring shots of herds of giraffe and African cattle and things like that, it shows Marshall riding a motorbike near them and then giraffes and other wildlife like running or galloping away from him. And he was dangerously close to them, like within feet of them. And you could really tell, or at least I could tell, and people who have studied animal behavior would probably be able to tell that many of them were frightened. They were showing the typical signs of being frightened and scared, and they were trying to run away from him and from his noisy bike. Luckily, this would never be allowed today. You are not allowed to approach any African wildlife like that, especially in protected areas, unless, you know, you're like a veterinarian or anything like that, and it's for the animal's like ultimate benefit. But to be fair, most of what happened during the filming of Roar would also not be allowed today. I I do like to harp on, you know, how how much more we have to go with animal and wildlife conservation and ethics and treatment around the world. But then you see films like this and 1981, granted it was like 40, what, 42 years ago, and we've come a long way since then the fact that this would never happen today. So the best thing I can say in terms of the animal welfare on set is the cats did appear to be healthy in the film overall, Um, at least their outward, most outward appearance. A few of them had some scars on like their nose or their bodies, but that really is to be expected with any large grouping of cats. So I wasn't too worried about it. There would only be like a a small scratch that kind of, you know, calloused or scarred over and none of them looked like they were big wounds or anything like that that had healed over. So So I do want to talk about big cat behavior really quickly and why this filming and how they had these animals living and grouped together for the film because they were living in this house in and around this house for the film but that is actually where they lived like outside of filming as well so let's start with the african lion lions do live in social groupings like in the film but not nearly as large or as close together as shown Typical groupings of lions involve one lead male, maybe six unrelated females, and two to three resident males that join the pride from elsewhere, so they are also unrelated. Prides typically do not live directly with each other, except for females who are caring for young on a communal, like they, they care for their young communally. So they don't typically all 
live on top of each other like they do in the film. They will kind of scatter out and the males, other than the lead male, the other males will kind of help protect the area, protect their territory from other invading males and females. And then the females are the ones who do the hunting and they're the ones who care for the young. If adult males do not have a pride of their own, they are solitary. Males are not friendly towards each other as they appear in the film. There could be a couple of them living in a pride together, but other than that, they are very territorial and they will fight. And in fact, there are a lot of shots of male lions fighting in the film. And if you know anything, even not just about lions, but about cats, if you have ever had multiple cats and one of them or, or a couple of them started fighting, or if you've ever lived near like a feral cat colony and you saw a couple of them fighting, that is exactly what this looked like. <laughs> they, cats are cats. Um, they kind of fight the same generally across the board. So if you've ever seen two like tomcats fighting, this is exactly what it looked like, but on a much, much larger scale. And when this happened in the film, they were like, oh, they're just playing. And then the actor would run and try to break them up, which was very dangerous and also not true. <laughs> in fact, when in nature, when a new male takes over the pride, there is infanticide, which really sucks, that often takes place to ensure only this new male's young survives. And so he, if a new male takes over a pride by killing the other lead male, he will also kill all of that previous male's cubs so that only his cubs are the ones to survive and be able to reproduce later on. So tigers. Tigers are solitary except for brief breeding when they come together for breeding or a mother caring for her young and occasionally they will come together to share like a large meal that one of them has caught. Each tiger has its own territory marked with their scent or like physical scratches. So they will mark with urine, they will mark with feces, and they will mark with scratches on on trees and things. And tigers are also very highly territorial. Tigers do share territory with other animals, such as leopards, though they really seldom interact. Tigers kind of stay down on the jungle floors, whereas leopards kind of like to hang out in the trees. And as long as they're not, you know, fighting over the same resources, they typically don't really interact. And spotted leopards are also very territorial and solitary. They live in the same areas as tigers and spotted leopards coat colors vary widely based on where they live. So the golden color, you know, if you think of a leopard, that golden coloring with the dark brown or black spots, that is, that coloring is going to be found in the tropical jungles of Southeast Asia. And leopards will retreat up into trees where other large predators have difficulty reaching in order to avoid confrontation because they are much smaller than lions or tigers. Black leopards. So I do believe the majority of the black cats in the film were black leopards, but they may have been black jaguars or a mix of the two. It's never really stated in the film which is which. Black leopards are mostly nocturnal, unlike the other cats who are mostly crepuscular, which means they are most active at dawn and dusk, and then they like kind of sleep during the heat of the day and then during the evening as well. However, this can vary depending on where they live. 
Black leopards are solitary and have designated territories, but they have a very strong maternal bond with their young. Like spotted leopards, black leopards frequently climb trees and will often stash their kills in trees out of reach of other predators to eat later. And black leopards and spotted leopards are actually the same species. Black leopards are just more melanistic, so they have more of that black coloring coming through. And I'm not sure why, but I know black leopards are found more frequently in Asia and spotted leopards are found more frequently in Africa, although there can be some overlap there. And it may just be because of their coloring. Um, The black blends in a little bit more in the dense forests and the golden color blends in better in savanna and sand areas. So there were also jaguars in the film. Jaguars can be spotted or black, just like leopards. Black and spotted jaguars are found in the same areas, which is why I didn't split them apart. They are mostly nocturnal and hunt from the trees. They're also solitary, but don't seem to be as territorial as tigers and leopards, though there isn't as much research on wild jaguars as there are for other big cats, I think just because they're a little harder to follow. They do coexist with pumas in North America or cougars, depending on people call them different things, but they're the same animal. And here's a fun fact. Black panthers aren't an individual species. I think I did mention this at the beginning. It's a common nickname of both black jaguars and black leopards. So if someone says it's a black panther, it just really depends on where that cat is living. One of my biggest irks of the film was that African lions, tigers, jaguars, and leopards were all shown together living in their natural habitat in Africa. And the natural habitat isn't a quote. They actually say this in the film, that they are living harmoniously together in their natural habitat. Lions and spotted leopards live in Africa, tigers in northern and eastern Asia, jaguars in North, Central, and South America, and black leopards in Southeast Asian jungles. I'm fairly certain I also caught glimpses of pumas or cougars in the film as well, though they were never really mentioned by the characters, and pumas live in North America. So they're showing big cats from every continent that has big cats, saying that they all live in Africa, which is just not true. Just like all of you lovely listeners, I love listening to podcasts, but it's the absolute worst feeling in the world when you run out of new episodes. When I run out of episodes of my favorite podcasts, I love listening to audiobooks. Audible is the best app for finding audiobooks. They have over 200,000 listings, including classics and new releases. I especially love Audible when I'm traveling and need something lengthy to listen to while disconnected from Wi-Fi. Try Audible for free today and claim a free audiobook at audibletrial.com slash humane. That's audibletrial.com slash humane or using the link in the description. Do you have an awesome podcast idea but aren't sure where to start? I personally use Buzzsprout to host my podcast because it's easy and affordable, perfect for a new podcaster. They help me list all of my episodes across podcast platforms, provide detailed analytics on how my podcasts are doing, and provide expert support when I need it. 
Host your podcast on Buzzsprout today and earn a $20 Amazon gift card when you sign up for a paid subscription. Podcasting doesn't have to be hard. Join Buzzsprout today using the link in the description. So once the movie was finally completed, it was initially released internationally in 1981, but it was never really released in the U.S. Like, it it was not released in the U.S. when it premiered. And some people claim it's because Hollywood just didn't want to pick up the film because of all the chaos that went with it. A lot of their financial backings, people backed out of the film for good reasons, and Other workers that were a part of the filming claim it was due to them not being unionized. So the film really couldn't be legally released or didn't, people didn't want to release it in the U.S. However, the film was re-released in 2015 in the U.S. in 50 cities. So it did have its small moment in the U.S., but it, when it initially premiered, was not here, despite it, you know, being filmed here. In the re-release, the film stated, quote, no animals were harmed in the making of Roar, but 70 members of the cast and crew were, end quote. This goes to show that not all, quote, no animals were harmed films aren't entirely truthful. This statement just tells viewers that animals were not harmed during the actual filming. The statement does not include all of the time the animals are involved in the creation of the movie or the editing of the film or in Roar's case when floods and everything damaged the property and a resulting three animals were shot and killed because of it, including their lead lion and all of the big cats who got sick and died because of their inhumane living conditions and God knows what else that was going on that just didn't get reported. Roar's international gross was less than $2 million, far less than the $17 million budget. So the original budget was $3 million. It ended up costing them $17 million, and they only earned $2 million in 1981 whenever it was released. Marshall claimed to press that the film was making a $1 million a day, which was repeatedly proven false. Roar received a 72% on Rotten Tomatoes with only 25 reviews, Um, I would have given it like one star. It was one of the worst movies I've ever seen, but viewers said that the acting, plot, and overall production left much to be desired. However, the real life danger made it hard to look away. And that's really fucked up, but it's true. My eyes were wide watching the movie like the entire time, and I was so anxious because I... Especially, like, I understand big cat behavior and just how dangerous some of these scenes were. And I would see something happen that would have obviously injured an actor and they just, like, kept going and brushed it off. All of these people were very lucky to get out with their lives. Some critics compared it to Jackass or a snuff Swiss Family Robinson film. And I have to agree with the Swiss Family Robinson comparison. It was like a extremely low budget horror type Swiss Family Robinson snuff film. Like it was really bad. Marshall and Hendren divorced after the film's release in 1982. And though they never come out and say it, a lot of people speculate that it was mostly due to Marshall putting Hendren's daughter 
who was 17 at the time of filming in real danger like she may have been put in the most direct danger out of everyone there and Hendren just couldn't forgive him for that. Tippi Hendren established the Roar Foundation and the Shambhala Preserve to house and care for the animals after the film's production. So at least these animals had somewhere to go afterwards. She became an advocate for animal rights, the preservation of their natural habitats, and opposition to animal exploitation. However, I'm not entirely sure if she sees Roar as animal exploitation. I'm not really sure what her definition of animal exploitation is because she doesn't seem to regret making the film. Marshall did help fund the foundation but could no longer be around the animals, understandably so. He never directed another film and he died in 2010. The film has been labeled the most dangerous movie ever made and now has a cult following. So the opening credits of the film show the American Humane Association seal and it says in quotes, it is with great pride that we display the seal of the American Humane Association. Although some scenes appear to show animals being injured, they were never actually hurt, end quote. Again, this only applies to when the cameras were rolling. So there are scenes in the film where like poachers shoot the big cats and stuff. And then again, it's very fake when they show like cats kind of rolling down hills and stuff and then like laying on the ground and they're covered in fake blood and they're supposed to be dead, but they're still breathing and their eyes are moving around and they're obviously just kind of resting there. And that part was so bad. It was funny, but yeah. The opening scenes also state, quote, since the choice was made to use untrained animals and since for the most part they chose to do as they wished, it's only fair they share the writing and directing credits, end quote. A lot of the film did seem to be scripted, but have like loose improv based on what the cats were doing in the scene. So two actors would be like acting and then a cat would come up and just start like tugging on like their jacket or something. And then suddenly they're in a tug of war moment with the jacket and with a lion. Um, So it was just chaotic. While the directors had the well-meaning idea to promote lion conservation through their film, They took a lot of shortcuts, they did not listen to experts, and they failed to educate themselves on lion behavior. In addition, their attempted message really did not come across as they intended. Most of the film showed the actors running in terror from the cats and not living harmoniously with them. Remember, just because a lion has been quote-unquote tamed and raised in captivity, it has not been domesticated and it is still a wild animal. A big cat attempting to play can still maul a human, even if you have raised that cat from a cub. I mean, we saw the same thing with Travis the Chimp a few episodes ago, so it's just not a good idea, guys. You can actually watch War for free on YouTube. If you want to watch the film, I do encourage you to also watch like maybe some documentaries or some behind the scenes footage of the making of the film to really get a visual for how dangerous and chaotic this film was. And I will link a short kind of behind the scenes video as well as the full film in the description. Roar was one of the absolute worst films that I have ever seen. I wanted to include a few sound bites from the movie for this episode, but I literally could not find anything usable in the movie. 
90% of the film was just like screaming in animal roars. And then like the other 10% was just nothing really usable. It was just like very basic dialogue that would not have been useful out of context of the film. And there was obviously a lot of miseducation in the film as well. Cats from multiple continents living together in their natural habitat, or quote-unquote their natural habitat, footage of cats fighting with the quote-unquote expert character stating that they were playing, and a lot of other big cat behavior and biology misinformation. There were also some very sweet moments that I genuinely liked where you could tell how much the actors truly cared about the cats. Like, the way they talked to them and were snuggling with them was genuinely very sweet. And there were a few scenes of them, like, bottle-feeding babies, which was... The babies were really, really cute. But, again, this promotes bottle-feeding big cat cubs. Uh, Please do not do this as a tourist. If you want to learn more about that, I did do an episode on lion walking in South Africa. I'm not quite sure which episode it is, but it goes into African lion tourism in South Africa and it talks about cub snuggling and feeding, walking with lions, and then canned lion hunting and how it all kind of fits together. One thing I really appreciated about the film was how the writers and the directors included and credited a Kenyan tribe that they worked with for the filming. They also included the tribe's native language, which I thought was really, really cool. And their portrayal in the film was very respectful, though it wasn't really part of the main plot. They just kind of gave them some screen time, but it was it was very respectful and it was a nice change of pace for a um, for an 80s film. Ultimately, you can see what they were trying to portray in the film. They wanted to create a passion for African wildlife and their natural habitat. But to quote Jurassic Park, some of the worst things imaginable have been done with the best of intentions. All right, that is all I have for you guys today. Thank you so much for joining me for the first episode of season two. Remember, you can support me on Patreon and get episodes a week early and ad-free, as well as bonus episodes every month. Be sure to give me a five-star review wherever you are listening to this. It really helps other people find my show and helps these apps and everything promote my show so more people can find me and we can build our little community. And also, be sure to hit that uh, follow button so you can be notified every time a new episode comes out. So thank you all for listening and I will hear you next time. Sources for today's show can be found in the link in the description. Thanks for listening.